coconut. Namaste Homo sapiens welcome to another exciting episode of Polytrex and we are continuing our engaging with Picard series this time it's the episode in Nepenthe or as i have come to learn is Nepenthe i thought it was Nepenthe because that's how i pronounced it and we indians pronounce things weird is what they tell us anyway so it's Nepenthe we'll be breaking down Nepenthe today i have some thoughts on this episode and my wonderful guest host who will be joining me also has thoughts i'm very excited to introduce my guest host but before we do that i would love for you to know that we are part of the trek geeks network and we're really really proud that we're part of the trek geeks network now the trek geeks network if you don't know was started by two kooky old white men who decided to have a podcast network and of course things go great for them but instead of being like most white men they jumped into the minority and they said hey we're going to bring in a bunch of other people who can have different voices so this big network is just not two old white men rambling about star trek so now we polytrex which is basically a brown guy living in little rock arkansas and a friendly canadian i say friendly in air quotes because people think he's friendly i don't agree but my co-host barry defort and i we talk politics culture and society in star trek we take real world incidents on the show and then we try to compare them to things in trek and vice versa and see where that goes and we are so so proud to be a part of the trek geeks network who listened to this, the previous episodes of ours and then when we were looking for a new home they said hey why don't you come join us which was really cool of them also i would love for you to know that we are sponsored by fansets fansets.com is your ultimate pin destination we have star trek pins you have dc comics pins i often spend in equal time looking at the dc pins and the star trek pins because for somebody who loves both of those it's the perfect nerdvana place to go their swamp thing pin is especially one that i've been eyeing and i cannot jump in and buy one or two or five or 20 of them but there are some awesome awesome pins they are continuing their women of trek series this year just so much goodness ready to come out uh, i think they're also doing an entire series of picard the wave one is already out but in wave two they've confirmed that we are getting a jurathi and a rafi pin which is really really exciting now just to give you an early reward i will also tell you that if you go on fansets.com and when you're checking out after you've bought all your pins if you enter the promo code polytrex you get a neat not 5 not 10 not 12 but 15% off you guys you get a 15% off your purchase yeah just use the code polytrex that's p o l i t r e k s speaking of that spelling 
See, that's called a segue. You can also use that exact same spelling on Twitter and you'll find our Twitter account. And please follow us on Twitter. We try to keep it lighthearted and positive, except for episodes like the one we have today, hint, hint. And just follow us there. Uh, whatever you think of the episode, our episode, Nepenthe, please share with us. We love hearing your thoughts. We are always open to debate. There are often people who come in and disagree. That is completely fine with us. Just keep it civil. Keep it respectful. That's all we ask. And we will reply. We will start a fun conversation. And, you know, more than anything, we will definitely bring you into our Trek family. We would there be it on Twitter, on Facebook, where we have a Facebook page that's not as active, but you can talk to us on the Kitomer. Camp Kitomer, I believe, is the name of the Facebook group. I apologize. I'm not on Facebook, but I have been told that that is a good place to go. Many have watched for it on the show, so I believe all of them. Anyway. I have rambled on for long enough. I am excited to bring in my lovely co-host. I am. I have so many things I want to share about this episode, and I'm glad I kind of got a general sense of how my guest feels about this episode. This is not going to be a pretty one for me, so I'm glad you have the yin and the yang today. But before we get into talking with our guest host, we have to jump to the main section. So on to the main section of the show, engaging with Star Trek Picard, Nepenthe. Alrighty, guys, I'm very, very excited to introduce my guest today. She is part of the Trek Geeks Network, and I've been wanting to get her on the show, and I'm excited to talk to her and break down this episode with her. She co-hosts the show along with Haley on the Trek Geeks Network, and it's the show that I call, What If Trek Geeks Actually Tried to Be a Good Show? It's Trek Rewind's very own Sarah. Hey, Sarah, how are you? Oh, my God. What an introduction. Hello. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's from the heart. I've always thought that. Every time I listen to one of your episodes, I go, man, if Trek Geeks actually tried like they did in the beginning, (laughs) this is how good the show would be. But clearly, they've given up. Sweet. I'll take it. I'm glad you both are here. Before we start, hey, do you want to tell us what Trek Rewind is? I would absolutely love to tell you what Trek Rewind is. It is a podcast uh, that me and my best friend are doing. Uh, This came out of talking with those infamous two, Bill and Dan, um, about doing a podcast. And I kind of was playing around with the idea of doing something called Deep Space Wine, where we were going to watch Deep Space Nine, because Haley had never seen it. But we just didn't get around to it. So I kind of threw around the idea of like, you know, listening to the episodes they do, the see it and the skip it's. Every time they're saying skip it, I was like, that's crap. That was such a good episode. I love that episode. Or I loved it when I was a kid and I, maybe I should rewatch them. And so that was where the idea came from for our show is we're rewatching all those see it and skip it, starting with TNG season one and watching just the skip it's and kind of making a decision after a couple of cocktails, is this worth watching or not? And, you know, it's been 50-50 so far. I, I fight a lot for those goofy ones. They tend to say skip it, but I love them. Um, some of them don't translate well, and some of them are still absolute crap, like Code of Honor. So, 
yeah, that's what we do. We talk about those and we talk about our experiences going to the convention in Vegas and we do stupid quizzes and curse and just, you know, hang out and drink. As you can hear, that's uh, what we do. So tell us a little bit about Haley, your co-host. What hmm. do you, how did you and her find each other and why did both of you decide to do this podcast? We met probably back in 2002. We worked in retail together at a store called La Senza, which was like Canada's Victoria's Secret. And I think it started actually our conversation of being like realizing that we're kindred was that we both loved Harry Potter and we both loved Alan Rickman. And then it kind of spiraled into like, do you like this? Do you like that? And then I was like, do you like Star Trek? And she's like, yeah, I do. I love TNG. And so we talked about that. And then I had always, because I was really into it as a kid and I went to conventions, I dreamed of going to that convention they have in Vegas, STLV. And I was like, all right, I got to go. I've put it off enough. I've been to Vegas. I feel confident to be able to do Vegas and figure it out. And I just kind of randomly asked her one day while we were folding underwear, do you want to go to Vegas to a Star Trek convention? And she's like, yep. And that was kind of like the trip that really solidified our friendship. We became best friends because we could travel well together. And as you know, or don't know, you make or break is traveling with people. So that was back in 2005. We went to our first one and we've been pretty much inseparable nerds ever since. And um, I really wanted to do a podcast. She's not really big on social media and stuff, but I knew that I wouldn't have fun doing it by myself. So I kind of just told her, if I do all the work and I plan everything, will you just drink and talk to me? And she's like, of course. So that's how, how it works. And it's great. That was a lovely, lovely introduction and breakdown of your show. By the way, you like Harry Potter? I do. After all this time? Yeah, always. There you go. That was what I was setting up for. Well done. Thank you. Okay. Now, if you've listened to previous episodes of the show, you kind of know what we do. Mm-hmm. And just for our listeners, I will say, so it's probably going to be over an hour long. So we definitely cannot break an entire episode down without spoilers. So from here on out, there will be full spoilers for episode seven, Nepenthe, and probably all of Star Trek Picard's episodes. We'll bring in references just make sure you've seen the episode or if you're uh, living on the edge kind of person who doesn't care about spoilers, just don't, t- don't tweet at us that <laughs> we spoke spoilers. That's why we are definitely letting you know this is spoiler alert. From here on out, we'll have full spoilers about episode seven, Nepenthe. All right, Sarah, tell me, uh, I'll ask you three questions and then okay. we'll jump into the scene by scene breakdown. Okay. How are you liking Star Trek Picard so far? I am really liking it and I'm really glad that I'm really liking it because I was, sometimes I get really excited about a show and I start watching it and I get disappointed. So um, I find personally that it's getting better episode by episode and I'm a little heartbroken that there's only three left of the season because I, I just think that it's been ramping up so good that I'm, I want more. So yeah, I really like it. Yeah. It's interesting that there are usually shows that start off so great. And then they kind of fall and that's a bit disappointing. And then you can see that inevitably the demise of the show is coming. Mm -hmm. But when you can confidently say that a show is getting better as it goes, you can tell that they're working their way up and the, you feel like you want to root for them more because they're an underdog that are learning along the way, much like all of us. So I'm glad you're enjoying the show. Now tell me, how did you like episode seven Nepenthe? I loved it. I did. Um, I Part of me wants to say it's the best one I've seen yet, but I still think that the previous episode was my favorite. Um, 
I was really excited to see uh, some familiar faces come back because as soon as the trailer had dropped that we were going to get a chance to see the Rikers in space, I was, I was waiting for them. So that was um, so well done. And I think it gave so much depth to the characters that we've never had before. And I couldn't have been more excited for it. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed the episode. <laughs> Thank you. I will be honest with you. This is my least favorite episode. Really? Yes. Not wow. just of Picard, but of Every- the two seasons of Discovery. And basically oh. anything that came out after Beyond. This is my least favorite of all Holy of them. Holy smokes. And, and I'll be honest with you, with our listeners, I probably will never watch this episode again. Oh my gosh. If I do, I will probably just fast forward it because there are some great parts in it. Most of it on La Serena. I really enjoyed everything on La Serena, which is sad because the show is called Picard. But I enjoyed the parts of the episode where Picard was not in, in this episode. Anyway, Mm -hmm. as we go on, I I will be honest. I will not try to be condescending at any time. I will tell you why I really did not like this episode and holes that I found. And I would love for you, Sarah, or you, our listeners, to tell me where I'm wrong. Again, very respectfully. No, Sarah, you can be disrespectful. But listeners, please be very respectful and tell me why you feel that I'm wrong and just fill me in and give me your perspective because that is what I'm looking for. I just log off. (laughs) See ya. (laughs) Now, uh, before we get in to the actual episode, where you said you kind of answered the question, but where would you rank it? One or two, right? With the impossible Mm -hmm. box going Mm -hmm. back and forth. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, clearly mine is down. Way down seven for whatever uh, whatever numbers that we come up with. All right. Yeah. Well, let's. We'll just do a scene by scene breakdown. We'll talk about the scenes. I'll tell you some of my problems, and then you can tell me what you think. And just feel free to interrupt me. Feel free to jump in at any point. Uh, We'll start with the first scene after previously on Star Trek Picard. Yeah, and please be as descriptive as possible because my memory is not what it used to be. So there's a good chance I might confuse myself with other episodes. So don't hesitate to correct me either. Sure, I can do that. I also have written this handy dandy breakdown down. So Ah. I do have descriptions of the scenes. Anyway, the show Nepenthe opens with us going back to Daystrom Okinawa where we actually get the full version of the initial scene we saw in which Jurati and O meet. We find out that in this scene, O convinces Jurati to be a plant for her aboard the Picard mission on La Serena after she does a mind meld with Jurati, showing a future in which sins take over. This happens after they have a conversation in which Jurati says that she's, she told Picard she's sorry, that she couldn't meet the synth in person. And then she, O, does the mind mill where she shows, well, is if that is really who you're passionate about, let me show you what happens when sins take over. We see flashes of apocalyptic visions and destruction. And then we really don't quite know exactly what we see in the mind mill because that is kind of the nature of the mind mill. It's supposed to be between the two people. Uh, from it's, it's from one's mind to the other's mind, not really for all of us to see. But whatever she sees convinces her and O hands her a tracker that Jurati eats. That was the scene. What did you think of it, Sarah? What did you think of the acting? Just what did you think of the setup? I'll be, I'm going to be completely honest. So this is going to make me look not the brightest crayon in the box. It took me until this episode to realize that O was a Vulcan. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was like, why is she, she's doing a mind melt. Oh my God, she's a Vulcan. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. It caught me by surprise. Um, I was really glad to get some clarification about what transpired there. Um, it was, I need to go back and, and see some of those flashes um, and break it down. Cause I know that somebody had mentioned that they, someone had done that and they had screenshots and I kind of want to take a look and see what kind of stuff was, um, it was supposed to be pretty gory. Um, I, I don't know what to think about this whole subplot. Um, I really, really like Alison Pill in the role that she's in. And I really like her as an actress. And um, I'm excited that she's so layered and she's so tortured and she's so, it's such a depth in that character, which is really exciting. I just don't know what to expect from her. And I don't know how I feel about it. It's, um, yeah, it's, it was a really good scene to kind of just, I think for me kind of pushed me into like, okay, so this is where motivation came for other things that have happened. So now what, who's going to find out and what are the ramifications? Are you familiar very much with the way spy agencies work? Mm -mm. Just no, it's kind of not that dissimilar from what they did in this episode. They use a lot of brainwashing, mm -hmm. which is kind of what a mind meld is. Right. And they convince the people that they want to go do these horrible things that without them, their family, their immediate kiff and kin, and those that are close to them are at risk. And on the larger scale of things that Starfleet and all of their people and their ideals are at risk. Uh, Soviet Union comes to mind. They mm -hmm. used to do that a lot where they would pick these uh, ambitious yet, you know, naive teenagers, people going on to be, go into their 20s and they would train them and they would convince them in their doctrine that, hey, you need to go do these things in America because mm -hmm. otherwise the world is going to fall apart, especially in Nazi Germany, which mm -hmm. kind of ties in with what they do in Starfleet here. I'm not saying Starfleet is Nazi Germany, <laughs> but uh, what I'm saying is in Nazi Germany, one of the doctrines they would use to indoctrinate kids into the Hitler youth program is they would say, hey, these look at the future if these non-Christian people took over or non-Aryan people took over and specifically if these Jews took over. Mm -hmm. And so it reminded me a lot of that. And uh, you're, you're definitely not off point. A lot of people were wondering whether O was actually a Vulcan or she is, uh, you know, in a way she is uh, manufactured herself to look like a Vulcan, but she's not really a Vulcan. Mm -hmm. Because if you remember when we see Nerissa the first time, she looks like a human. She has her human ears. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, everybody was kind of wondering what was going on. But with this, I think we can confirm that she is a Vulcan, unless the Romulans mm -hmm. learned how to do a mind meld. Mm -hmm. but I like the sunglasses too. <laughs> the, okay. I do. It's so good. The sunglasses <laughs> is another, it's a whole other, I feel like I could do an entire episode on it because who is I would it? get my photo with the sunglasses at a convention. <laughs> <laughs> they're their own character. <laughs> Who is the only other person we've seen in all the new Trek that is kind of sensitive to light? Uh, oh, Lorca. Yes. And mm. why is Lorca sensitive to light? Mm, from the, yeah, he's from the uh, mirror universe. So my theory is that she might be a mirror universe Vulcan. Oh my God. Uh, right? I didn't even think of that. <laughs> mind blown. That's, that's, that's a that's, good theory. Yeah, that's, that's my realistic. mind meld. I'm Sarah today. 
it's happening. <laughs> yeah, that's where I am is we'll find out that Vulcans are actually all fine, but it's the mirrored universe Vulcans that have come in and taken over. Yeah. And kind of tie in to Section 31 stuff that they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving on, mm. we now go into the artifact and the La Serena. We find out that La Serena is locked onto the artifact and Rafi is trying to hack into their system. And then we jump into the artifact where we see that Narissa is threatening Hugh clearly and successfully to reveal the location of Picard and Elnor. And when Hugh refuses, she shoots a bunch of their XBs and says that it's Hugh's fault that they all died. And before the scene ends, we see her connecting to Narek, or who we now know is Kaon. He's getting on a shuttle pod, which we later find out is called a snakehead, to follow the La Serena. And as it ships out of the artifact, we see that the La Serena is released. And before they get out of there, Rios, who's very happy, is ready to leave when they all ask each other, where is the kid? Anyway, what, what did you think of the scene? Was it... Was it, a, was it a good way to open on the artifact and where they were? It was heartbreaking to see those um, Borg, pre- previous Borgs be just slaughtered like that. Um, especially when you know, if you've been a fan of, of Hugh and his story arc, or you've been a fan of Seven of Nine and, and the Echeb and all these characters that you see that humanity's come back and you're just so excited for them to have a chance to live again. And then just before they even have that chance or just taken out, I just, Oh, she is such a bad. Oh, I love to hate her. Like what a good villain. And um, what a scene to kind of just set the mood for the episode. It was a dark episode. And that's part of, that's a huge part of it is that scene. Yeah, it's especially tougher to find, I think, actors and actresses who can stand up to someone like Patrick Stewart mm-hmm. in terms of acting ability and Michelle Hurd. And I feel like w- uh, the more you see Narissa in this episode, mm-hmm. the more you realize the actress, Peyton List, she she has acting chops. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. She, is, she can definitely take on any of those people. Yeah. And you'll believe that she does have a chance at fighting them. Can I can I brag on her gothic outfit? It's so it's just so good. It is. And it is, is that uh, that's a departure from the Romulans that we saw in the past, right? They kind of had yeah. a grayish Yeah. Gray, With the very, shoulder pads and mm-hmm. yeah. And it the, kind of reminds me a little bit more of Shinzon. And the punk woman bangs mm. that just mm-hmm. went right up there. Mm-hmm, the Betty Bangs. Yeah. It's like yeah. these are Section 31 and Romulans just got together, which totally. continues my Section 31 theory. Anyway. There you go. Uh, so, yeah, it was a cool scene. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Now, here is a question I have. I don't know if it's supposed to be an Easter egg, but do you remember when Rafi zooms in on when she's hacking into the system? Mm-hmm. She sees these circles upon circles. Yeah. Just What is that? Like, do, do you know? I don't. It seems somewhat familiar now that you mentioned it and it stands out. Do you have a theory on it? Well, I can't. The only thing I can connect to is Soji has a necklace that is circles on circles. Yeah. And then they're trying, she's trying to hack into the mainframe. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be that all their mainframe is written in the language of these circles. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if Soji's birth has some connection with the Romulans. The symbols too that she wore is kind of reminds me of the um, Eternity, you know, uh, 
it's yeah i actually didn't think about that i don't know i hope there's not i pair it with the breaking bad sometimes i found that watching that show was kind of painful but when i look at the series from start to finish and i get that whole story arc i'm like that is brilliant so i feel like for me with picard as much as i'm enjoying episode by episode when i'm finished watching it and i know what the whole story is i think i'm going to be even more excited about it because that's when i'm going to be like oh my gosh i totally this the thought process that went into it so things like what you're bringing up make a lot of sense if that's if you're spot on you're spot on but if you're not still a really good guess and the Romulan tie-in and the whole fight for figuring out who the twins are and why they want them destroyed it's still anybody's guess in a way also if you remember from the vision that we saw that Soji is in her homeworld has two moons which are Mm -hmm. kind of a circle on a circle Mm -hmm. so a lot of symbolism I think that they're all eventually going to connect somewhere and even in this episode later Riker mentions Infinity Lake and the symbol of an infinity yep. is kind of a circle almost joining with a circle. Maybe now and, I'm just getting into my... Well, and was the pizza he made a circle shape? And was yes. there two pizzas that were circle shaped? Probably. With circled pepperoni on it? I mean... <laughs> Thanks for taking me down a peg. I needed that. Well done. But so I, I, I'm just wondering, like I don't have an yeah. answer for that one. That was just... Yeah. I was just thinking... What is going on? Anyway, so I did also want to mention, uh, you know, when somebody who's supposed to be a villain kills innocent people that had, they have nothing to do with, I think mm. they become ir- mm. irredeemable. Mm-hmm. So I think Narissa in that way is now beyond redemption. Whatever you mm-hmm. can do for her, mm-hmm. you could kind of forgive her. I don't know, maybe I, I, it'll take me a while, but I could kind of forgive her incestual love for her brother. <sighs> but... Yeah whatever she did to the XB. So I was like, that's the, she drew the line here. Yeah. We cannot go any farther. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree. I feel the same way about a good villain. Um, I, I love some villains and I, and I love to hate some villains and then some villains I just can't stand because they're real true monsters. And they're the, the ones that kind of come close to the reality of what we deal with in the real world with, with predators and, and killers. And so I like, I like my bad guys to be a little bit, um, redeemable. So she's definitely crossed a line. Uh, she's bad. Don't like her. I don't want any kind of story where she's, you know, she turns and she's actually good. Nope. 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 She's gone too far. And who knows what she's done in the past. I mean, this could just be a continuation of how she's always dealt with things. And she's always been that bad. And it's just that we're seeing it now because we don't know her backstory. Also, do you remember another Romulan villain who was kind of menacing and irredeemable and dressed in all black? Shinzon. Uh, well, oh. no, he was no. Scrap that. Um, no. Nito. <gasps> right, and isn't there people thinking that Narek, when he talks about his brother, could have been possibly referring to Nero? There was that theory that was online. Or, or is Nero the father of Narek and Narissa? Yeah. <gasps> yeah, that too. If you think about their like names Narek. too. The, yeah. the names all have ends and yeah. and the NAR continues with yeah. Nero. Yeah. It's again, could yeah, just be a, my tinfoil hat theory, but at this point, everything's it's not on bad. the table. It's, I think that's still a, a reasonable uh, theory. I'll let you know when your theories are a little bit too bananas. Okay. Thank okay. you for doing that. I need honesty on the show after years <laughs> of co-hosting with Barry. Okay. It's just, it's nice that somebody wants to take this for a chain. 
All right. So from, uh, you know, another thing that I really enjoyed is her awesome blaster rifle handgun, whatever she has. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. Uh, it's, sim- it's sim- similar to someone that we've seen in the past. And it was, uh, it was a pretty, yeah, did the job. That's for sure. And I also like her blade, her mm-hmm. nemesis Picard mm-hmm. clone blade that mm-hmm. it was just like, I wish not wish. I really hope that the makeup team and the props team won, win all the Emmys because yeah. this show is looking incredible. It's and fantastic. It's it's just, it's gorgeous. And I hope with the set design and the way it cuts to that scene where we see Narek getting into the space pod, mm-hmm. the the beautiful shot that they have of him getting into the space pod and the way they mm-hmm. show that, I, I hope they win all the effects. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I studied a little bit of special effects makeup in my youth and I understand exactly how difficult it is and the fact that they do it as well as they do it and at the caliber, it's just absolutely phenomenal. Anyway, so we find, like I was saying, the crew on the ship asks, where is the kid? And we find out that Elnor is still back and he's trying to mm-hmm. find, he finds Hugh who's kind of been thrown away and he's trying to help him out and he says, I'm going to tie myself to your cause and now I'm going to protect the XBs. And he tells the crew of the La Serena to kind of just, hey, you guys leave without me. I'm going to stay back. Yeah. Such a nice nice hero moment. I I like his character so much. And I didn't think I would. When I first saw him, I was like, oh, who's this guy? Like, what character? He's funny. He adds a really good little bit of humor in the background. It kind of in a data way with that. I don't understand humor as much. Absolutely. And I like that. I find that to be really funny. Um, And he's... This this episode especially, I was just really surprised by what they did with the character, and I really liked it. And I, yeah, I just him staying behind was good on him. He is the most TNG character mm. that we've seen in the show. I could, yeah, I agree because he's a very clean cut, good guy. He has a moral compass like Captain America, and that and hair, like all of him. He's oh just my God. like that. Yeah, is what twenty years old. Probably. Yeah. Oh God. So young. Way to go. Well done. Genes <laughs> Absolutely. And humanity. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so from this scene, as we find that uh, Hugh has kind of, and uh, Elnor have tied each other to the lost cause, they cut to the credits. And just, to, I'm asking this to everyone. Do you, do you like the credits? I love them. I, that, that music I am excited about it. And I was, that was something I was really waiting for when the show started was I was, I want to know what the opening is. Cause I really love discovery. I love their opening theme and the music and the graphics and the card is just as good. Absolutely. Great music. Can't wait to see it live somewhere at the convention. If the uh, orchestra is there doing the different themes, it's so good. I'm sure Jeff Russo is going to come to SDLV this year. I hope so. Yeah. I don't know. so after the credits we go to the much talked about nepenthe and (sighs) all right let's get into it Uh Uh, this is not going to be pretty you guys anyway so picard (laughs) and soji are transported into this woods like place Uh, yep them arrive there and we also actually open on nepenthe which looks like a very earth-like planet just with different shapes for continents and it mm-hmm. it looks like earth 
mm-hmm. is the uh, best. Has Nepenthe ever been mentioned anywhere in the world of Star Trek that we know of? Not that I know of. Okay, I haven't this, heard it either. Yeah, uh, I maybe there are there are planets that were referred to that had regenerative properties, but this mm-hmm. is the first time I've heard of Nepenthe. Now, okay. interestingly, Nepenthe is a Greek term. It's uh, the meaning in Greek is restoration or healing from heartbreak. Hmm. That's what Nepenthe means. Okay. And it's very interesting that, of course, they would choose that name because you find out later what mm-hmm. kinds of things the people living in Nepenthe are dealing with. So we trans- we've opened into Nepenthe where Picard and Soji are transported and they, get in, they arrive in this very woods-like situation. And as they are trying to stand up and get a hold of themselves, you see a figure in the shadows aiming a bow at them. And we, it is revealed to be Kestra, the daughter of Riker and Deanna Troy. And she's aiming a bow at them very threateningly, but she quickly puts it down when she recognizes that it's Picard and the self-proclaimed pacifist hunter who is not really, but is just playing the character of a girl in the woods with her hunter-like costume and face paint. She takes them home. And on the way, Picard reveals to Kestra that Soji is Data's daughter, which shocks and kind of destabilizes the men- the already fragile mental state of Soji. And Picard reveals to this breaking down Soji that, you know, I know you think everything is a lie, but Daj was real. And I'm sorry, but Daj is dead. Now, what did you think of this scene, Sarah? Um, lots of things. Um, I, I can't wait to see little girls cosplay Kestra. I just think it's such like a, like, it's just important for young girls to have characters that are like this, that they can look at in science fiction. It kind of makes me think of how many girls got into archery after Katniss Everdeen came out. Like, it's just, I thought she was, she was the last thing I expected for a child of the Rikers. Um, but I'm pleasantly surprised with her. Great introduction. Great little actress. I've seen her in The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix and she was good. Um, I find that Picard's a little bit forgetting exactly what's happening for... He's um, kind of dealing with a lot right now and to kind of lay it all on her. I think, you know, she still needs some more time to kind of come to terms. She hasn't really even said it out loud herself. So that scene kind of was a little bit like... The excitement of, of seeing this new character and the name obviously is a throwback to TNG and then kind of him just so blatantly saying, oh yeah, she's, you know, she's related to Data and, you know, just be mindful that she's still kind of grasping. She just jumped through a, you know, she just left a Borg ship and is on this planet. Like, you know, slow down. Yeah, it reminded me of uh, people who, even with good intentions, would sometimes say something to a PTSD survivor about, mm-hmm. hey, that person was in the Iraq war and they got their foot blown up. Mm-hmm. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, I'm sure those things would trigger them. Now, I'm going to say some good things before we get into the bad things. Okay. L- Lulu Wilson, the actress who plays Kestra, yeah. is really good. Have you yeah. seen Annabelle Creation? No, I haven't. Oh, you should see Annabelle Creation. Okay. She kind of plays the main girl in it. And Perfect. it's it's one of my favorites. I'm a huge fan of the Conjuring universe. I like mm-hmm. horror movies. And okay. Annabelle Creation is one of my favorites. It's very well done. Awesome. And she, she plays a wonderful character. You should definitely see uh, Annabelle Creation. Okay. Uh, and 
I really liked where Soji is kind of coming to terms with everything, but she doesn't trust Picard. So she says, you know, all this could be a lie. Just get on with the mind game. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I thought it was very interesting that she said that to Picard, somebody who has been through his own fair share of mind games, mm-hmm. specifically like the best of both worlds, which was mm-hmm. basically a huge mind game. Mm-hmm. And also, of course, intentionally or unintentionally, the inner light in which he is kind of compelled to live an entire lifetime and then comes back and realizes that only a few minutes have passed. And yeah, that must be such a mind game. All right. Now, here are where my problems with the episode starts. Okay. Uh, okay. She calls herself a pacifist hunter. Uh, pacifist is somebody who doesn't believe in violence. Mm-hmm. or somebody who doesn't believe in harming life is what uh, is how I think a pacifist is. Uh, but just minutes later, we find her very happily handing the dead body of a rabbit to Riker. Now, why, why would a pacifist hunter kill someone if they didn't need to? She was being sarcastic, ironic. I don't know. I, uh, I mean, I guess that, like, I didn't really think about it. I'm not trying to put you on the spot, or no, it's not like not a gotcha. On the spot. It's just I didn't really, I I didn't look that deep into it when she kind of said, "I'm a pacifist." I just, yeah, I don't know why she would do it. Then I think it's a good question to ask. It's I think it's kind of a contradiction to her character. Mm. And a beginning to the problems that I've seen in this episode that, you know, I've seen it three times now. And, oh, okay. Uh, because I have to write notes down because it's supposed yeah. to be professional. Uh, <laughs> but the, every time I saw it, I tried to find reasons to think why someone who calls herself a pacifist hunter and the daughter of an empath. So also she's probably part empathic. Mm-hmm. Why would she very clearly just for pleasure because we live in a society where there are replicators mm-hmm. and yet very clearly they're doing it just to just so they can have the real food i guess is a way to put it but then why would you harm a sentient being when it's, it's just that I have so many questions about it, but the biggest one that started for me was why would somebody who calls herself a pacifist and clearly somebody who says, I will not use my bow on you, but the arrows are real and I'll use it if I have to go out of their way to kill an animal. Are we positive 100% that that animal was real or could it have been replicated? Well, there were no replicators that At we all? could see of. And they, if you remember, uh, Marina Sortes, Diana Troy, says that's one of the joys of eating food that's not from a replicator mm-hmm. while she hands over the tomato and she says everything here is real. Mm-hmm. And hands, what you can clearly see is the skinned out carcass mm-hmm. of a rabbit because you can see the horn. Mm-hmm. If you, I've seen that. I've paused it and I wanted to see it before I said any of these things. But, and they also talk about cutting out the venomous sacs, right. which if you think it was replicated, that is not something. Yeah, you would have done that. Oh. So I, that, like, that's the beginning of my problems with this episode. But I really, again, I'm just, I'm not putting you on the spot. People can like it. People eat meat. I live mm-hmm. in a world where I can recognize that. Mm-hmm. I just thought 
Star Trek was past it because Riker himself in TNG says that they don't enslave animals for food purposes anymore. Right. And he's explaining that to, a, to, to, to an alien who has released prey in the ship and they're trying to hunt that alien creature mm-hmm. so they can, because they say the thrill comes from when you catch something you hunt and then you eat it. And then he mm-hmm. says, you need, you can't do that on the ship. Mm-hmm. All our food comes from replicators. We have stopped harming animals. Mm-hmm. So it was just like, please give me your thoughts. I don't mean to take this off. I would, I would love to hear anything you have to say. Um, I, I definitely think that it was the way you kind of describe it, not properly executed with the, just the reasoning behind it, but I understand why they did it. Um, there's something to be said about maybe getting back to nature. And if, if the beginning of humanity didn't, do what they're doing they probably wouldn't have survived and if that's what they're trying to do is to try to be as human as possible after going through tragedy and that's the way they do it and I guess it makes sense um I have no problem with um hunting if you don't waste um an animal I'm very much against people who are trophy hunters um personally um I think that I kind of want to have a little bit more story just about the planet and why they're there and what the story is. I don't think we're going to get it, but um, yeah, it didn't really bother me that much. I, I'm such a person who watches a show and just watches it to enjoy it. And I don't think too much on it. So um, when you pick up on these things, I totally see where you're coming from, how it doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, It's contradictory to what Riker has said in the past. If that's their only source of food, then I, I get it. I live or die, but um, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good thing that you bring up and I can understand how you would have thoughts on it for sure. Well, you mentioned trophy hunting and just to elaborate, in my opinion, trophy hunting is when you hunt for pleasure. So you can Mm -hmm. have, Typically, have so a, you can have a head of it in your house, yeah. just so you could have it for te- technically, yeah, bragging yeah. or whatever reason it is, you have it for pleasure, right? Yeah. If you live in a society where there are replicators and you mm-hmm. can get food without harming a sentient mm-hmm. being, mm-hmm. if you do harm that sentient being and you eat it just for the pleasure of it pleasure. being real, mm-hmm. isn't that also trophy hunting? But you said there's no replicators there. So if they're on a planet that is completely free of technology and they have no other source of protein, I mean, then what do they eat? Are they, is this for a survival thing? Is this a planet they've chosen to live at the most basic or is this a planet where if you just like walk down the street, there's a replicator there and they're totally just choosing to do this. So that's the question too, is how technologically advanced is this planet? Well, we know there is technology on the planet because Riker says shields up. Yeah, and the entire mm-hmm. place that they're in gets shielded up, mm-hmm. and so based on that, if they could get shields, clearly they could get replicators. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's just maybe it's an evasive species that they've been asked, "Can you do us a favor and start eating them because they're destroying everything?" And you know, if if they don't do their due diligence to make pizzas with these things, they could all be destroyed. It could be its own version of a horror film. Who knows? Now, in a show that is an hour long, Mm. a line about that would have helped, wouldn't you agree? Mm -hmm. Saying, we kill these because they're invasive and we need to kill them. So, because they haven't said that, 
And yeah. based on the evidence that we have, I am going to think that they did it for pleasure. And that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why this episode disturbs me. Our listeners mm-hmm. know I am a vegan in progress. I kind of mm-hmm. relapse with dairy and eggs, but I've, I've not eaten meat for half a decade now. Okay. It's just something I cannot do. Uh, and one of the reasons why I enjoy Star Trek is because there are honest conversations about things like this mm-hmm. to where you can see that most people are replicating food, but then you go to earth where Cisco's father is boiling lobsters in his diner. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's one of the things that I w- always was really proud of my franchise for that I find such a kinship to is, Hey, they're finally having a conversation about meat and animal cruelty. And mm-hmm. it was sad for me to watch this go where mm-hmm. it went. We'll talk about that more later. I don't want our entire episode to be about that. And I promise it is not. These are just things that I wondered about. Anyway, so you know, on to the next scene. Picard walks up to Troy. Uh, the music is beautiful here. She's standing at the doorstep and there is no talk. As soon as he walks up to her, she hugs him. And uh, they can... They have a moment and then Troy says hi to a shocked Soji who's standing in the back. And just, can we talk about how good Marina Sertis is? Oh, she, yeah, she knocked this out of the park. What a, it was, she was the one more than anybody that was so familiar in her, especially the way she played her character in this episode. It was so Counselor Troy, not Commander Troy, in my opinion. And I thought that was great. I was so excited to see her. Oh, I love her. It was so good. Uh, there is some trivia about her wig. She's clearly wearing a wig. <laughs> yeah. And apparently it is a wig that she stole from the set of Star Trek Nemesis. Yep. And for this episode, they had to kind of bring her in on a hurry and they didn't have enough time to find a wig. So she said, oh, wait, I have this wig. <laughs> <laughs> and she borrowed the wig from Nemesis. Kind of makes you wonder what else she might have, hey? Oh, they're never going to talk. I bet mm-hmm. somebody somewhere, mm-hmm. probably Patrick Stewart, has that Locutus outfit. Oh, yeah. I think is one of the greatest props. I'm sure, I remember he said that he has the flute. Mm-hmm. But we also, or may, maybe he has one of the flutes. I know mm-hmm. one of them was on display at the museum, I think, last year or the year before. So I wonder... But yeah, just they must have all kinds of cool props. Oh yeah, for sure. I bet uh, Jordy has all his visors. <laughs> yeah. The bar button. <laughs> I hope so. I hope he has at least one. What is a prop from Star Trek that you would like to have? Ooh, I would have to say, if I'm going with TNG, let's go with, I want the fish tank that was in Captain Picard's office. <laughs> Have choice. it installed into my wall in my kitchen or something. That'd be pretty cool. Or um, in your basement with the tiki bar. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> that would be pretty rad. So uh, from just that, that, in that scene, I just wanted to talk about how good Marina said yeah. this is. Anything you wanted to add about that scene? No, it was great. It was, it was such a, I felt that warm hug too, you know? From here, we zoom in on Riker, who is in his kitchen cooking mm-hmm. pizza. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Kestra starts yelling and he says, stop yelling. And then she says, well, it's Jean-Luc Picard. And he turns around and it is Jean-Luc Picard. Yeah. And they hug. Yeah. It is such a beautiful scene. Oh, my God. I am the most unemotional person. I never cry over TV shows or anything. And I was like, oh, 
oh my god someone must be cutting onions because i have <laughs> feel like it was so good and it's like how many decades did i wait for that you know it, it was such a reunion it was great almost two decades right because nemesis yeah. came out 2002 yeah and that was the last time we saw both of them together yeah and it was just just the way and i remember the trailer when we fir- the first trailer that dropped and you hear her shouting out dad and it's like what and you instantly recognize that voice i was like okay yeah hands down this could be a whole dumb musical i'm still sold on it i'm excited for the show so yeah it was such a great little reunion to you know see Riker just cooking away like so out of the uniform you know living life retired sort of and He's still an active reserve. He makes sure yeah. to you make sure to yeah. remember that he plays. Yeah. He's playing jazz when he's making his pizza. He is, yeah. Which is, of course, we all know one of the favorite genres on the, yeah. aboard that Enterprise. Makes sense for a trombone player to be listening to jazz. That is correct. We also mm-hmm. see his trombone in the background in one <gasps> of the scenes. I didn't see that. Oh, I'm gonna yes. have to rewatch it. I believe when yes, when we zoom in on uh, Taj's room, I think it's either Taj's room. Mm-hmm. And then they cut to the hallway in the background. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll make I'll I'll try to remember which actual scene it is in Alcinity. But I wonder if he ever learned how to fully play Nightbird. I'm sure he did. At this point, he's retired. What yeah. what else does he have going on? I of course I kid. I'm sure he's doing a lot of cool things. But here he mentions that he's having trouble with the Zinti or mm-hmm. Zinti. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe they are a species that were mentioned in the animated series. Okay. I think that is kind of an Easter Not egg. the Zindi from Enterprise. I did not think so because he, I think he very specifically says it's Zindi. Yeah. And yeah. When you, so it's, it's definitely not the Zindi, I yeah. believe. Too I could close. be wrong. Yeah, very close. And again, here's the scene that I have my issues with. I've talked about it already with our lovely guest. I'm not going to continue that, but... I would love to hear from everybody else about, you know, the, the animal carcass and mm-hmm. whatever all that is. Just talk to me. My personal Twitter handle is gutter underscore hero. If you just want to talk there yeah. or if you want to tweet at Polytrex, do it on Polytrex, wherever it is. I would love to hear what you thought and we want just to answer my question. Yeah. Just, just answer my question. That's, I really just would like an, an actual narrative. I did pose that question kind of, uh, mm-hmm. but I was in like a pissed off tweet where I was like, oh, just this is horrible. Why did they do that? And somebody said, similar to what you said, which is, you know, there is no, there's nothing that says that you, they needed to kill those animals. There is nothing that doesn't say that you needed to kill those animals to keep mm-hmm. the population under control, which I kind of think is a bad narrative because that mm-hmm. is also what they used to in the last decade or so it's kind of what they've used in africa to almost drive the rhino to extinction mm-hmm. uh, just so they could have rhino parts to sell ounce by ounce the rhino's horn is more valuable than gold silver platinum mm-hmm. i just i'm just randomly mentioning it but those are the kinds of narratives that the government use where they're like oh yeah we need to kill them to keep the population under control mm-hmm. which i think in, in this episode had they made a line about it mm-hmm. i would have kind of understood it mm-hmm. I'm not saying I would have agreed with it, but absolutely. Yeah. I mean, at, at home here on the highway, there was a, a grassy knoll that was overrun by rabbits and people would drop off their pet rabbits that they didn't want. And they would populate on the highway on the side of the road. And they had to 
move them all to the woods, but there was a big debate about should we do a culling of the wild rabbits because it's to the point where it's going to be dangerous. They start zipping onto the highway and they're destructive and they destroyed all the grass and everything that was on there. So, but it's also, it's just a grassy knoll on the highway. It doesn't need to be pretty, but it's, it raises a huge debate and I appreciate both sides of it. I'm a meat eater, uh, but I've never gone out and killed my own meat and I don't know if I could. So that's hyper, you know, it's pretty, uh, ironic so it's uh it's a good one to pose and i and i do acknowledge your side of it as somebody who is vegan or working towards being vegan uh to be a little bit po'd about it like okay so uh i thought you guys were past this and now you're bringing it back like yeah fair you bring up fair questions well thank you for saying that Sarah. anyway so here uh picard and troy and Riker have a moment they're talking to each other and troy says you know, we she kind of deduces that Soji is an android because she couldn't mm-hmm. feel Can't anything from her, and she's yes, not she Ferengi, so. <laughs> she's not she's not able to read her. And she says, "You know, uh, Picard, you need a new plan." That's what Riker says, and yeah. then Troy says, "One that begins with a nap." So we kind of cut to Soji, who's fresh out of a shower, and Kestra guiding her, and they both go into the, Kestra's room where there's a cute bunk bed. And again, this kind of made me angry. I am doing my best to stay objective, but in, <laughs> next to her bed, there is a clear statue of a bunny corn, which again kind of makes me uh, yeah. like, why, why do that? That's kind of like adding insult to injury. Anyway, so in this bedroom, uh, as Soji is settling down, they talk about data. And it's this is where... Soji and Soji learns a little more about her dad. She finds out that Data could do all these incredible things mm-hmm. like jump really high and run really fast, but all he wanted to do was be human. What did you think of this scene? Let me get your thoughts before I I I share mine. I thought it was a nice way to bring in the character of data without bringing in the character of data because everyone's so excited about seeing faces. And we sit, we saw the, you know, before whoever it was uh, in the drawer back at the Okinawa place, but this was such a more tribute to data than I think people expected because it really does touch on what he was about and how he wanted to be human and to have that kind of innocent conversation. It, it was, a child talking to someone who's also in a childlike situation about somebody who was childlike as an adult android who's trying to be human and always want to be a child. It was just really sweet. I thought it was a really well done um, way of talking about him as opposed to just this cold technical conversation that was had uh, in a, in a meeting room or something. It was very sweet. So, I, again, have another big problem with this scene and just the general direction. Here we go. Sorry. I I apologize (laughs) that you have to be in the episode where I have a lot of problems, but I'm just being honest with you. And again, I'm just going to say things and please answer them. If you think I'm wrong, just say I'm wrong. But my big problem with this scene is the same problem I had with, have you seen The Rise of Skywalker? Mm Mm-hmm. It's the same problem I have with a bunch of the scenes in The Rise of Skywalker. Now, let me ask you this. You know who Data is. I, I know who Data is. Yes. Kestra does not know who Data is. No. Uh, 
And Soji definitely doesn't know who Data is. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, the people that know Data seem to be compelled on forcing the idea of Data on Soji, a person who clearly has a lot more things to worry about. Mm-hmm. And what I, in this scene, they could have done so many things to kind of show uh, the things that Soji is feeling. If you think about where she's been and where she just came, this could have been a scene that could have been used to give her some comfort or talk about who, what life is like and what, you know, Kester is dealing with and just give her a different scenario instead of in the scene, every second line is about data and why can't Soji just be her own? Why does she need to know and accept data? You know, when you start mentioning it, it's it's so interesting talking to you because you see things that I don't see because I don't pay that close attention. um, So it gets my wheels spinning. The fact that they're kind of harping on it so much makes me wonder if it's a misdirection and that they're building this up to be that this is data, 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 but it's not. And that'll be like a surprise at the end of this season one that it is, do we know anything about what happened to lore? And do we know for sure that in that drawer it was before, like, do we really have all the answers that we could possibly have to make a real decision about how they're attacking this Soji character? I mean, there's, I don't know. I feel like the Android thing and the positronic net and the whole, there's so much room for debate and there's so much room for things to come out that we didn't really expect that will be like, Oh my God, I wasn't, you know, good surprises. I feel like the show would really have taken that into account, but I don't know. It's, it's a good point that you raise about the data aspect of it. Because if, as I was connecting it to, as I was alluding, alluding to earlier, by connecting it to Rise of Skywalker, in that movie, you and I know who Palpatine is. Mm-hmm. And we know everything that comes with being Palpatine. Mm-hmm. Rey doesn't know who Palpatine is. Mm-hmm. Her immediate problem is to protect the resistance. Mm-hmm. But all through that movie, people are telling her, you're a Palpatine. Oh, it's a big reveal. And then you have to go fight Palpatine. It's just like, again, on the show, we try to connect things to the real world. So let's say tomorrow... Uh, I find out that, you know, I have a secret third eye, right? And I can do these incredible magical things. And I'm running and I come to your house and I say, Mm -hmm. I don't know what to do. And then you're like, sit down, let me tell you about your father. Mm -hmm. And while the entire world is trying to find you and use you as a lab rat to find out why you have a third eye, let me tell you about where your ethnicity comes from and Mm -hmm. your father's history, which really does not is not what the character wants at that point i think and also mm-hmm. not what the people want for her is with ptsd survivors you don't sit down and talk about hey you know how you raped yeah and then you don't do an entire discussion about mm-hmm. that especially since she's just arrived into this house full of strangers mm-hmm. and does not even believe that reality is real so just the i have so many problems with this episode and the only reason why i bring it up is because i care about the show Mm-hmm. And I care about the story. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like if they really wanted Data to be a part of the show, just make Data a part of the show. Mm-hmm. Why bring in this vehicle 
that you want to force data with us on. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I I feel like it's the storyline with how Soji is kind of being introduced to the whole scenario, the fact that her sister is dead, the fact that she is who she possibly is, everything that's around her is finding out that she's not an adult that's grown and had a childhood and her mother isn't her mother. I think it's rushed. And I think it's a good example of how the show is being kind of rushed. Um, I appreciate the little bit of the storytelling in the first episodes, but she does deserve more to follow blindly this British man who's just saying, trust me. I mean, I wouldn't trust him. I don't care how kind he seems like it's too much at once. And if we had 13 episodes or if we had spent a whole episode kind of explaining to the character about more of it or her discovering it on her own or questioning it, it just seemed it was very rushed. And so it does cause a lot of confusion and a lot of unanswered questions about why are you pushing this? And, and then why is this the way that you decided to bring back data? There's so many other ways you could have done it. It, it again, very, in a horrible way, has a connection to the new Star Wars movies because you spent the first two movies, Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, building Rey up to be this un- ultimate underdog who has, who's kind of an orphan, really has no odds and does not belong in this world. Mm-hmm. And then in the third movie, you say, oh, it doesn't matter. She's the granddaughter of this powerful villain. Mm-hmm. And in the show, what was really good that they did from the beginning till episode seven is they show that Soji and Daj are being used by people in very different ways. And so just Soji is dealing with crazy amount of, you know, trauma and she's, she has all these abilities and you really only see, if you think about it, very, very little of it. You see it once in that Hugh scene where she's doing the autopsy. And she's talking about, why do you call them the nameless? They have, they have names, mm-hmm. they're people. And then you see Hugh admiring her abilities and you see her talking to that Romulan lady who's uh, just been unclaimed, but she calls her the saint Genin. You remember the destroyer? Mm. And now mm-hmm. it feels like all that has been put aside to say, oh, she's a woman who was taken advantage of by Narek. And now she's in this place where she's Data's daughter. Where is Soji? I know Data's daughter. I know I know Narek is taking advantage of her, but when do I get to learn about Soji? The mm-hmm. character that you're selling the show on me for. Mm-hmm. Just there are like the the direction that they're going in, I just have problems with. But sorry. Yeah. Again. Well, then they would have called the show Soji instead of calling the show Picard, I guess. <laughs> no, that's a good point. I agree with that. But yeah. uh I just I'd really would love to learn more about Soji. You know, very selfish. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying the show. I would like show. to know more about her sister too. I mean, yeah, yeah, because all I know about her right now is that she's Data's daughter, which is yeah. not... Allegedly. Yes, or ma- made from Data or whatever. I don't know about yeah. her. The only thing I know about her that is not about Data is that she's scared. She's scared yeah. and she's something from Data. And if yeah. seven episodes in, that is all I know about my Ooh. second lead in a show... It's kind of sad. And this this episode, they keep forcing data, which was such a problem to me. But mm-hmm. anyway, uh, we see in the next scene that Troy and Picard go into Thad's room. We find out that Thaddeus Riker Troy was a son that they had that passed away due to 
a synth, uh, not a synth, a silicon-based virus illness that they couldn't continue the research on after the synth mm-hmm. ban because it kind of came from machines. Uh, mm-hmm. And we see that in this in this room, we see uh, we see various displays and we find out that the kid had a really wild imagination and he invented this language called Veen, which is a secret language that the family talks in every now and then. And we find out that Thaddeus was obsessed with the idea of home worlds and that people had homes and he would call them Artani. And in this scene, what did you think of the scene? Just I'll, I'll again throw my problems at you afterward, but tell me what you thought about the scene. He, you'd think he would know about Kestra and their family, right? That Thad has died. Absolutely. I think that... that why I would th- he come to this place where, you know, characters, these, these characters are dealing with so much? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that there's probably more to it than what we've seen so far. And I'm hoping that we get a little bit more to it. I don't think he went just to have a heart to heart, um, especially when you have that scene with him and Riker where Riker's, he's like, thanks for not trying to talk me out of it. And, you know, he knows what to expect from them both. He knows that Troy is going to, you know, be the the counselor that she always was. And he doesn't really need that. I don't know if it was just a matter of maybe bringing Soji there to show a softer side and to show her a bit about what he's fighting for and what he, that connection about your father was somebody that was, really important to all of us and that's why I'm doing this because that's why you should trust me is I'm not just some guy who's out to be a hero I'm doing it for a reason there's a personal feeling towards this I'm I'm me against the world because of your father because he risked his life so maybe having them there to help with the backstory was part of it because it just puts more of a, a human perspective on it to somebody who thought they were human and isn't so it's interesting that you bring up a softer side. You're absolutely right. I agree that that's something that Shoji should have seen. But don't you think it would be more compelling if they had bought both of them back to the vineyard where he does have two people that mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. have turned around mm-hmm. from being Tal Shiar agents mm-hmm. to these righteous people who are now, of course, we also know they're badass at protecting each other and mm-hmm. their people. And yeah. also they have a dog. So I would have seen number one again, which I've not seen for seven episodes. It's been seven episodes. We only saw number one in the first episode. So technically it's been six, but bring back number one. Hashtag justice for number one. Absolutely. Cute ever. I love having dogs on the show, bringing all the dogs. So I thought like, wouldn't it be more compelling since you're trying to tell a new story to bring it to the to where you know you have the home ground advantage. Maybe because he was trying to get off that Borg ship so fast, he thought if I go home, they're just going to know where I went. They're going to follow me there. This was a, a quick decoy, kind of like, you know, they're never going to find me here. Nobody knows that they're here except for me. These are close friends that I know are, are hiding from the real world for whatever reason. So I feel, I mean, knowing... Picard, I don't think he would risk putting them into any kind of danger after what they've been through. So I think he'd have to be pretty confident with making the choice to go there, knowing that it was a very secure place to go. But does the ship, the Borg ship, not have any kind of way of detecting where they went? Is there going to be a way for the for them to break into the Queen's room and figure out what that machine is and where exactly it went? I mean, we can all get tracing each other on the internet now. They probably still have that in the future. So, Yeah, just that's a that's a convincing answer. I believe you. I, mm-hmm. I hope that was really what it was. Just 
these holes, when I start poking them, like the, the show just start much like the velvet cake that we see later on. It just mm. starts crumbling down for me. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so uh, just uh, from here, we go back to the La Serena. Again, I really enjoy the parts with all the La Serena and the chase stuff. Mm-hmm. I love uh, seeing Narek's little tool. Again, he, he's obsessed with those cubes. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is with him and the cubes, but he keeps flipping like a nervous tick. Yeah, yes, that is correct. And he also has an ear thing, which his yeah. sister does too. I don't what like that. like headphones that they talk to each other with. Or... I don't know. Yeah, I never he's discovered the worst. <laughs> yes, he is the worst. Have you seen, by the way, I'm doing this for every show that I couldn't possibly mention. Have you seen Penny Dreadful? No, but I'm aware of it. Sarah, you need to watch, watch Penny it? Dreadful. Okay. In Penny list. Dreadful, Narek, Harry Treadaway, plays Dr. Frankenstein. Oh, Yes. Okay, that'd be pretty cool. And it is a really good show. It's the best Frankenstein portrayal I've seen in a long, long time. Anyway, nice. so next scene, we see that the La Serena discovers this snake head that is zooming away. And they're trying to track the La Serena and Rios does his thing and he kind of evades the ship for a moment. And then you see that Jurati is clearly having a breakdown. She mm-hmm. mentions, why can't we just all go home? Picard can take care of himself. And these, nobody cares about these effing sins. We don't need to deal with all that. And then Rafi stands up after a head motion from Rio saying, you know, let me take you away. Let me just calm you down. Just comfort you. What did you think of that scene? Um, gosh. I love Rafi. I think it's such a good character. People have a hate on for that character and everything about it. Um, it was, I thought it was great. I agree. It was a great scene. I just wanted to say it was a great scene. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so now we go back to Nepenthe where uh, Riker and Picard talk to each other while Riker puts the pizza together. This is where Shoji is walking with Kestra while they're going to see the garden in which they have the tomatoes that they need, the non-replicator tomatoes. And mm-hmm. Riker introduces himself to Shoji and he sees her head tilt, which is yeah. the famous data head tilt. And he again, much like Troy, just deduces the rest of Picard's mission, which is he says, you know, that girl has some data in her and that she's an android and you're running from the Tal Shiar. And Picard says, I don't don't want to share more of it with you. And then Riker says, yeah, I get it. If only the ignorance of danger would really put danger away. Mm -hmm. And then he said, he mentioned something about Soji being a teenager. He says, you know, you're essentially dealing with a teenager. And do you know what that's like to deal yeah. with a teenager? Which, uh, having been an ex-teenager, I know what it's like to deal with a teenager because I've dealt with one myself. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think of that scene? I thought it was so real. It was such a humanizing, normal, average conversation that you don't really get that a lot in Star Trek. It's, that's what the weird thing is about the show. The people that I've talked to that really don't like the show and I'm fighting for the show. They're like, it's not, it's not TNG. I'm like, no, it's not. It's completely different. And it's great. And we're seeing sides of these characters that we've never seen before. They're off the ship. They've done different things. And to have these little conversations are so unique and so, I don't know, it's different. And I like it. I like that it's so different. But um, it, yeah, it's also kind of weird and kind of sad in a way too, because it's not as nostalgic as you want it to be with the uniforms and the familiar 
stuff that we're used to. So something like this with teenagers and all this, like the car was never the family man. And to have this conversation even, is just kind of fun. You know, you are just the worst Shashank. I got to get out of here. I can't, I can't even listen to it anymore. I'm, I'm done. No, but all in good fun. I actually do have to get going because I have uh, a dog to feed and dinner to make and things to do. Um, this has been so much fun. I really, really don't beat yourself up about this being a downer episode. I love the conversation you're bringing to it. I want to see where this goes on Twitter. So I'm going to be watching like with the, uh, that gif of Michael Jackson eating popcorn. That's going to be me wanting to see how this goes down. Um, thank you so much for having me. Um, and I want to come back because I want to be able to really fully embrace a full episode of this show or something else. So I promise to have you back in an episode where I've actually enjoyed and had a good time. <laughs> the episode, I'm, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Fair I'm enough. sorry you had to bear the wrath oh, of God. this episode. Yeah. I'm going to go make some rabbit stew now just to spite. <laughs> yeah. Just make sure it's uh, non-venomous. You cut the you venom sacks out. Yeah. That'd be bad. Okay. Uh, I understand that you have to get going, Sarah. Where can people find you on Twitter? On Twitter, it is Trek Rewind, or my personal one is Van Island Sarah, like Vancouver Island Sarah. Uh, it's linked through the Trek Rewind page. Uh, the Trek Rewind is also on Instagram. So we're, we're both places. Sarah, I cannot wait for you to join me again. Thank yeah. you so much for joining me and staying on yeah. for most of the show. Yeah. And I'm I really, really hopeful. Next time, hopefully Barry will be here. And yeah, you have, that'd be you have awesome. the full Polytrix experience. And full disclosure, I am going to listen to this. So if you choose to rant and say that I'm wrong about everything that we've talked about in the next parts of this episode, I'll listen and I'll know. And I'm going to do you that. I yeah. would do that if I was yeah. one of the Trek Bring geeks. It on. Bring Be- it on. If I was Bill and Dan, but I'm not. <laughs> All I'm right. an honest podcaster. What you listen to is what you get. Thank you so you much for it. joining me, Sarah. You Until got next it. time. You got it. Live long and prosper. All right, gang, again, a shout out to my lovely, lovely guest for today. Sarah, make sure you listen to Trek Rewind. It's an awesome podcast. Make sure you listen to the other shows on Trek Geeks that we have. We have Trek Rewind. We have Five Year Mission. I'm hoping eventually by the time we get to maybe episode 40 or 45, I've had every guest on the show that is also a host on one of our network shows. I am so glad that Sarah could join me for most of the episode. It's sad that she couldn't join me for the rest of it. But hey, I'm here to fill you in again, because I don't have a sounding board to sound off on. I will just share these thoughts and you guys can respond. Please tell me what you thought. And I would very much appreciate answers because it's the show that if you've been listening to for the last six or so episodes, you know, I'm really enjoying Picard, but this was a really, really low point for me just because I had so many things that I couldn't stand. And maybe at this point, they're all questions. I'm not holding all of them against the show. I understand that it's part of a season long arc. So maybe I'll get some of these answers later. But I'm, what I'm much more curious about is what you guys think and what your responses are to these questions that I'm throwing out. Anyway, let's continue on with the breakdown. So we find out that Jirati has this crazy breakdown and then Rafi just takes it away. Auntie Rafi. I really enjoyed that scene. I love that Rios and Jirati have such an, not Rios and Jirati have such a good relationship. You can tell that it's built on years of friendship and trust and they've each seen each other through thick and thin because just with a head tilt, 
Rios could tell her exactly what she needed to do to help Jirati out. That was, that was such a nice scene for me. Anyway, uh, we went back to the Riker and Picard stuff. It's, I think this is where, what I would have been more interested in is Riker asking that question and Picard trying to answer what being with a teenager will be like and getting some kind of response apart from, you know, the typical scene cutaway. We cut to Troy and Soji in the garden where they talk about Thad and we find out that Thad was obsessed with homeworlds. Uh, in this scene, again, because so far with the episode, I was not having a great time. It felt like when you come out of an episode in which the central character found out about a homeworld, they just happen to run into the characters who are obsessed with homeworlds. That's such a contrived, weak story. And it's not the strongest way to have them connected to that part of the story. There are so many other better ways in which they could have done this, I think. And the what they did is not ultimately what I really enjoyed. And I thought it was contrived. I thought it was weak because let's say you're telling a story about a guy who is in a million dollar debt. If the entire story leads to him just walking on the street and somebody just walks up to him and says, hey, I have a spare million dollars. Would you like them? Here you go. It kind of felt like that. It's not exactly like it. I get it. And I can understand it. And especially the heartbreak that Troy is going through really makes it more compelling. But the fact that they connected it in such an amateurish way by just saying, oh, he was obsessed with homeworlds, basically telling you by the end of the episode, one of these people will tell you where the homeworld is. Like that's, that seems so contrived to me. Maybe that's just me. Again, just tell me if I'm off. And in this scene, Soji opens up a little. She, she's talking about how she doesn't even think anything of the, is real. And she doesn't think any of this is real. And she talks about how Picard bought her to this place, made her introduced to some introduced her to some to some nice people, and giving her this good food. And uh, while she's breaking that down, Picard walks up and says, "Oh, I'm really doing this to torture you, just in a jokey way." And then, clearly, Soji, who's having a lot of issues, just pushes Picard away onto. Riker, who's in the back. And then in what could have been an absolute disaster of an episode, the scene that really spoke to me, even in spite of all the issues that I have had so far, is when Troy looks into Picard's eyes and says, you know, I get that what she did was wrong just now, but you had it coming. And in the scene, Troy breaks down what exactly Soji is dealing with. And she puts it in words to Picard, who himself is in such a hurry because he has so many things that he has to do. She makes him stop and reflect where Soji is mentally and what she's dealing with and why she's here. And just puts Picard in Soji's shoes, which is really so powerful. One, really, really powerful. 
And two, that is exactly what an empath would do in that situation. This reminded me in the best of ways to some of the TNG episodes where Troy's advice is basically what saves the ship or saves the day or saves the mission that they're on. She's doing what an empath would do. In an episode in which I've had so many issues, I basically think Kestra is exposition girl. She's there just to say things that we need to know. There's nothing more to that character than that. Albeit very well acted, very well performed by Lulu Wilson. I get the connections. I understand where they're going. But she's there to give us exposition. Everything she says is exposition. She's just telling us about the things we need to know as we go into episode 8, 9, and 10. In an episode in which Riker's entire purpose is there to cook pizza, He's just there. There is, if you take Riker out of this episode, the episode works just as well. There is nothing that he does in this episode that is instrumental to the direction that Picard and Soji, our main characters, go in. But in such a flawed episode, Troy being here made complete sense to me. Even I, with my deeply critical, clearly not the kindest eye for this episode. Even I could agree. That's, that's why Troy is here. And that's why Picard needs Troy in this episode. He needs someone who can break down how to connect with Soji and what Soji is going through. And that you had it coming speech just nailed it for me. I'm so glad Marina said this is back in this episode. And it made total sense to me that Troy was in this episode. We go back onto the artifact where Elnor and Hugh are trying to escape and run away. And then Hugh says, you know, we could take this entire ship down. That's what we need to do. And then Nerissa walks up on them and says, oh, you've violated the treaty by talking about open insurrection, which I think is a clear nod to Star Trek insurrection. <laughs> and, and then a fight ensues between Elnor and Nerissa. Really cool fight. Well done action scene. I love that those acting chops gave way to the physical fights. You know, not all actors can do both. I love that Peyton List was very effortlessly ready to go. And she stood toe-to-toe with Elnor, who we have seen so far is just nothing but a badass samurai. And they fight, and Elnor gets the upper hand for a second, but not before she manages to kill Hugh. And Hugh is on the floor, dying, and he says, I was that much of a fool again. How, thanks for giving me that hope. He says that to Elnor as he's uh, on the floor dying. It is, again, in an episode that is so flawed, this was such a powerful scene. Jonathan Denarco coming back for the three episodes and being as powerful and commanding as he was on screen and yet conveying this vulnerability that really took him back in a lot of ways to where he was in Iborg. And the way he expresses that he was that much of a fool again, thinking he could make a huge difference. And he dies thinking that he didn't, but I think he really did. You can see that in where Picard is. You can see the way he helped Soji find Picard. He helped all those XBs start a new life. Gave, he gave them names. And I, what could be more powerful than helping people who think that all is lost giving them life. 
the tragedy of Hugh as a character is just so poetic and profound. If you think about it, Picard entering his life kind of gave him a new life because in Iborg, it's that conversation with Picard that turns him around and he says resistance is not futile. And he finally starts coming around from where he was. And he kind of gets a new birth. He's reborn after that conversation with Picard. And it's so tragic yet poetic that that conversation with Picard on the artifact is ultimately what kills him. It's because Picard found him on the artifact. And with Picard re-entering his life, the life that Picard once gave, he unintentionally takes it away. And I'm so glad that we had Jonathan Delarco bring his incredible acting skills. And it's so sad that his story had to end, but I am so, so glad that we got him for the time that we did. Thank you, Jonathan Delarco. Way to go, man. Anyway, back on the La Serena, Jurati and Rafi have cake with chocolate milk. And clearly, Jurati is having a breakdown. She wants to tell people what she's what is going on in her head. That is clear. But she cannot. And Rafi expresses sympathy. And she kind of deduces, intentionally or unintentionally, what is causing her all that trauma. And she says, oh, it's Bruce. It's Bruce Maddox. How could I not know that? What Rafi believes or what we think she believes is that it's that Bruce died and they were clearly intimate and that is what is causing her grief. But what we think she doesn't know is that Jurati killed Bruce. And I wonder how this will all pan out, but I think Rios and Rafi are one step ahead already given their friendship. We see a little bit of that in this episode. It's interesting where it is going to go. I'm excited to see what happens next. We cut to the dinner scene in which Riker is passing out his venomous, not Riker is passing out his non-venomous bunny corn sausage pizza. <laughs> okay. I, I promise you guys, I will get over it. Just give me some time. I'm just really irked. That's all that, that they had to go out of their way to do that. But here Picard manages to finally get into Soji. He does what Troy asks him to do. He becomes Jean-Luc Picard. He stops being Picard that we've seen and he becomes Jean-Luc. And he becomes this vulnerable, tragic, yet hopeful person. And he shares all the things that he's dealing with. And then he says, you know, we really cannot go anywhere without your help and you know that and I want to help you and he shares why he wants to help her he says I was kind of just biting my time waiting to die and it's not that different from what he shared with Jaban and Laris he says but I've kind of found a new life and I want to help you I want to atone and make up for the things that have happened in my life with since now I also have a little bit of a problem with the scene I'm so sorry that this is the episode that all of you have to listen to me rant about, but if you're not having a great time, it's kind of ascending or descending the way you experience and enjoy something. If you're not having a great time, it just gets worse as it goes. And the same with if you're having a good time, it just gets better as it goes. So all through the scene, I was wondering, 
why is Soji sharing this intimate dream vision that she learned about? That is an, a, the key to her existence and something so deep that just hours ago, she didn't even know she had. Why is she sharing it with these strangers? Wouldn't that be a much better scene? Or wouldn't that make more sense for the character if she shared that with Picard, who has a reason to be there and who she doesn't even know she can trust? And now she's sharing it with everyone? I don't know if just after spending a day, even with as incredible as Troy and Riker and Kestra are, if I could share something that so deeply connected within me, it's again, I, because that is the nature of how I view things. I connect what Soji is going through with deep trauma. And I don't know. I struggle to think of a reason why I would have shared that. Please let me know why you would think she would just share it. And isn't it also kind of ignorant of Picard to let her share these things with them, knowing that, they are now putting the entire family in danger. If not from the Romulans who kind of already know where to go, but from Starfleet and other people who might come looking for them because Picard is technically now a fugitive and there are deep snakes within the garden that is Starfleet. Isn't that kind of endangering Riker and if they find out what he did and wouldn't Picard have, I feel like Picard would have found a better way to deal with this. But it, all through this episode, I kept thinking clearly they want us to keep going and they want to hurry it along. And uh, let's do this. And let's do this at the dinner scene. And let's do this in the garden. Like it was just like, they were just throwing things for us to learn without actually thinking about what is right for the characters and that kind of continues to hurt me. Anyway, back in the scene, Soji shares the vision and Kestra puts it in her computer and she finds out where that homeworld is and she shares that it is in the Hulian system and she gives them a number. Again, exposition girl gives us the exposition that we need. Now we know where to go. See, you see how contrived it becomes when one of the kids has the home world's idea, which then leads to the other kid having this knowledge because it's her brother and she knows. How? I don't know. It's an hour long. I can't tell you everything. Just go with it. So, so forced. And that, that hurt me. And it just continues to show the holes that are in this episode. Back on the ship. Rios and Jurati have a heart-to-heart this time because clearly Rafi has done her part, but it's not looking that good for Jurati. And Rios questions if Rafi is a traitor because he thinks that, because he thinks that it is Rafi who just disappeared mysteriously and then came back and now they're able to track her about that was an interesting scene, and you can you can kind of tell that Jurati is reaching the 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 really really low point of her breakdown. She listens to all these people again. I think Rios is just dragging her along. He's just he really wants her to start saying things before he has to say them, so he's playing the nice guy. I have to commend Alison Pill's awesome acting chops, and I think you guys should watch the newsroom. 
the fact that she can bring such powerful emotion on her face and the trauma that she is dealing with. Because you can tell that after Rio's questions if Rafi's a traitor and then they see that the snakehead has showed up again, you you can just tell the amount of things that Jurati is dealing with are too much for her. So she replicates uranium hydride and just injects herself with her and goes into a coma. And the tracking stops because then they see that the ship has disappeared. We see Narek trying to figure it out, but he can't find it. What a powerful scene. And Alison Pill just carrying that scene. And that's really how you write good complex characters because in spite of everything she's done, you cannot help but feel sorry for her. And you cannot help but blame Starfleet because they're partly responsible for what she's going through. Anyway, back on the artifact, Elnor, who has been guided by Hugh to find the SOS chip for the Fender Strangers, manages to find it and he activates it and we leave him there. We know we've seen a similar chip before and we know who's coming because we've seen on the next Trip card. It's seven of nine, you guys. She's coming back. I don't know what is going to happen, but I'm so glad she's back. Now, that is a return that I have to commend. Seven of nine being in this story makes complete sense to me. From the minute she came on that scene where she says, you owe me a ship, you owe me a ship, Picard. And everything we see in the impossible, everything we see in Stardust City, right? While that was a high point and a sensible way to bring that character, I still don't know why they bought Riker and Kestra back. That makes no story sense to me. Had it just been Troy on that planet, it would have worked just as well. It would have probably been more effective. Anyway, Picard and Riker have a little walk and talk while sipping a drink. And speaking of baggage, Riker asks, what is this new crew like? And Picard says, oh, they seem to be carrying a lot more baggage, which I think is a, a bit of a pam, a bit of a poke at TNG because <laughs> none of the crew very famously carried any baggage because of what Gene Roddenberry wanted. You can tell that what happens in one episode, except for things like the inner light and best of both worlds, they kind of magically forget about. And there is actually no baggage. Riker mentions that he's still an active reserve and it would take him a very good reason to bring him back, which I think is a setup for season two. That is just me. And it's, again, in in an episode that I have so many issues with, it was really powerful to see Riker and Picard talk about what Picard is going through. And he says, thank you, Will. And Riker says, for what? And Picard says, so many things. But today, thanks for not trying to talk me out of this. And it shows just how far they've come from... Riker trying to talk Picard out of everything back on the Enterprise to where he says, yeah, now I know better. Which, if you're going to bring a character in, which is such a powerful scene. But again, it's unfair because you're cashing in on my nostalgia of these two people. And it's not really for the story. It's for the nostalgia and the fact that I'm sitting here and I know, oh, it's Riker from TNG. I remember Riker. He does the Riker maneuver. He puts his leg up on chairs. I know that guy. I'm glad he's saying nice things to Picard. Just, I wish there had been a story reason to see Riker. 
he does nothing in this episode and as powerful as this moment is as sweet as it is it doesn't actually add anything to the story anyway we cut back to a sleepy soji and as she wakes up in her bunk bed she finds that kestra is drawing her i believe kestra's tea in this episode's scene is a nod to the sex pistols that's what michael shaban said on his facebook or instagram the t-shirt that she's wearing is supposed to be in one of the languages a nod to the sex pistols that's pretty cool anyway soji wakes up they get ready and before picard and riker and troy share a moment and soji and picard get ready to go they're standing on the threshold kestra comes running oh before she does this they also have a conversation about how kestra has gone through something really horrible and she has her mom and dad which that is what should have been the point of kestra's character i think it's much more compelling to talk about her brother's passing because especially since troy mentions that that is what kestra is dealing with seems like all through the episode they were too busy throwing all the exposition they could at her to remember that this character has some really tough grief that she's dealing with at her age but i'm glad they at least put a line in there that's really cool in an hour long show they spent 30 seconds talking about not even actually talking about it, just alluding to it but kestra says you know i had my mom and dad and picard doesn't have anyone and you don't have anyone but you could be what my mom and dad were to me and that could be you to each other and so she says i'll think about it leads to the farewell scene and it looks like lasana has made it in a panthe so picard and soji bid goodbye to the riker choice and they get aboard the nepenthe and we end the episode like i said guys least favorite episode of mine so far just i have so many problems with this episode i've shared most of them with you <laughs> i would like to actually be able to edit this episode so i'm trying to hold back everything again thank you so much to sara from trek rewind for being on most of the show life happens people have to be places she had to go that is completely fine i'm so glad i have you guys still listening if you're still listening as a reward i will tell you if you're still listening thank you so much i appreciate you staying with me i appreciate you being very patient in this episode and if i my ultimate goal with you guys is to just be honest about how i feel about a show whether it's good or bad and this was an episode that did not feel good in spite of it felt like a cash grab it felt like an an emotion grab felt like a nostalgia fest didn't actually add a whole lot to the story there are few scenes that i really enjoyed that i talked about but please tell me what you thought tweet at us on @polytrex that's p o l i t r e k s tell us how you're enjoying the show tell us what you thought about this episode tell me if, if i'm wrong about everything that is completely fine too i just want to understand i'm not out here trying to get picard i don't have an agenda i'm just trying to understand what happened in this episode and why the choices were made that were made and why the clearly better choices were ignored anyway that's it from me 
and Sarah on this episode. We are excited to talk to you about episode eight that will be coming in next week. It's called Impossible. Nope. Episode eight that is coming in next week. It's called Broken Pieces. Seven of Nine is back. Can't wait for that. That'll be awesome. Just anytime seven is nine is back, man. Just that is a character that belongs. I've said that already, but that's a character that belongs on this show's season for the story that is going. And I wish they'd have done justice to Riker. I wish they would have done justice to Kestra, but they needed an exposition girl. They threw in that character. They needed somebody, I guess, to make the pizza. So they threw in Riker. So glad we got Troy. And now, with that said, I will bid you all adieu until next time. Thanks for listening. Please be nice, guys. Please be respectful. That's all I want. I really want to understand. I'm excited for a healthy debate on this one. And until next time, live long and prosper and onward to star sighting.